0: what's up everybody welcome to the stack i'm alex i'm pete and on the stack we talk about a bunch of books that have come out this very week and we're gonna kick it off with the united states of captain america number one from marvel written by christopher cantwell and josh trulio art by dale eaglesham and jan bazaluda bazalda maybe i don't know Probably shouldn't have paused there. It doesn't matter. This book is, as you can tell from the number one, a new take on Captain America. But the concept here is that Sam Wilson and Steve Rogers discover they are far from the only Captain Americas in the United States. In fact, there are people who have taken up the mantle and taken up the identity all over the country, and they vow to travel along the country and find as many of them as they can, starting with a young kid who is a gay kid. He lives on the railroad tracks. Maybe he's homeless, I guess you could say. Uh, And we meet this character. He interacts with the two caps, and then we get a backup story with him. This was a big press deal a while ago when they announced this title. We're finally getting to see this character and this title in action. I thought this was great. This was a wonderful Captain American story in my mind. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, I think
1: it's kind of like uh, what Grover went through in Sesame Street when you realize, wait, there's a Times Square Grover and also on, on the Vegas script Grover. You know what I mean? There are, there are Grovers all over the place because he's such a iconic character that other uh, people are going to want to take up this mantle and kind of. No, it's not like that at all,
0: but I think that it was. Wait, I'm sorry. Was that a thing that actually happened on Sesame Street?
1: No, no, it uh, wasn't. But I it think be... you're
0: thinking of Elmo then yes uh, yeah, Elmo,
1: but uh yeah, there elmo was a Times red square. And Grover is blue, right, but Times square, elmo, right, yeah. um uh, yeah, but that that wrong <laughs> that really threw you that wrong wrong <laughs> bit aside, I think it uh, I think it worked, I thought it was uh it was a cool take, um, you know, I like the whole kind of railways thing, uh, yeah, I thought this was interesting, especially Captain America. You know, uh, it doesn't shake things up too much. So I was, I was, I thought it was a cool
0: change. This is not exactly the same thing, but it reminded me a little bit of We Are Robin, the title from DC a while ago, where there were a bunch of kids in Gotham who were inspired by Robin to take on the costume, which was also a very cool title. But here, it makes a lot of sense with Captain America. He's been around for decades at this point. Of course, he's going to inspire people in this way. And I didn't know what to think going into this book, but came out really enjoying the concept and excited to see how it goes going forward. And Dale Eaglesham is great. Love his Art. Also, really like the backup story a lot. I thought it was very sweet and very nice. So this is a must pick up in my mind. Let's move on and talk about Infinite Frontier Secret Files, number one from DC Comics, written by Brandon Thomas, Joshua Williamson, Stephanie Phillips, and Dan Waters. Art by Valentin Delandro, Inaki Miranda, Stephen Byrne, Phil Hester, and Christopher Mitten. This is, as you can probably figure out from the title, a bunch of short stories exploring the main characters in the Infinite Frontier miniseries that just kicked off last week all narrated by Director Bones, the skeleton guy with a cyanide face. I was a little iffy here because I don't usually love these sort of collections, but I thought this was a very strong one. How about you, Pete?
1: Yeah, I thought it was, uh, at first I was like, what? But I think it's done well as far as like collections go. There's a lot of creativity and kind of uh, uh, well thought out ideas put in here. I thought it was definitely
0: worth it for sure. We, I think this might have been Justin, but we were a little harsh on the Psycho Pirate mm-hmm. a couple of episodes back. I thought the story here with Psycho Pirate was so good and so well yeah. done and drawn. There were some awesome artistic choices that played off of Tom King and Mr. Art's run, I believe, on Mr. Miracle. Uh, what did you think of that one, Pete? Yeah, I I
1: agree. I think it's just like... Has that uh, kind of classic feel to it a little bit. And uh, I I don't know. I was just really impressed with the way it kind of sucked you in and kind of got you into this kind of like pace and feel of it. Yeah, I think it was
0: definitely worth checking out. I agree. Uh, Moving on to Power Rangers Unlimited number one from Boom Studios, written by Frank Gogol, art by Simone Ragazzoni. I will say the same thing that I say every time we talk about Power Rangers. Every time is I always thought Power Rangers was very silly when I saw it on TV. I was super not into it. And I keep going in with the same feeling for every one of these Power Rangers comics we talk about where I'm like, eh, this is going to be dumb. It's just like a TV show. I don't like it. And then I get completely sucked in by the book because they're so good. This one is about the Phantom Ranger telling the story of Rita Repulsa's origin. Yeah. And it's very intense and very emotional. The The art is good. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, the first time they say
1: Rita, I was like, oh, shit, that's Rita. Like, it was, uh, it's, yeah, it's surprisingly, it keeps doing such a great job of, like, taking these characters that we know and seen uh you know in the in the show and kind of showing them and giving them more depth and uh kind of really digging into the character in a way that comics does a great way of of exploring and i think it's such a i don't know who greenlit this project but they have got to be patting themselves on the back because this is you're like oh okay yeah yeah they're rebranding this or redoing that but this has been really well done
0: Yeah, this is the sort of thing, and I really need to get over this thing of coming into it every time, like, completely green, because they, like you're saying, these Power Rangers titles from Boom have been very solid, consistently, for a very long time now. Yeah, exactly. It's just good stuff. Let's talk about another one that is consistently good. Beta Ray Bill, number four from Marvel by Daniel Warren Johnson, your boy. You love him. You know him. In the, you were wearing a brutal falcon t shirt right now. Yep. In this issue, Beta Ray Bill and his ship are under the influence of some sort of mind controlling vine squid type creature as they continue to crash it's a space towards,
1: squid. I don't know what's what's so
0: it. hard to comprehend about that. Crash towards Muspelheim in a climactic confrontation with Surtur. This is great. It looks great. It reads great. I like it a lot, Pete. Okay, so first off, what's
1: so fun about this is this is the moment where Beta Ray Beale kind of catches up to the reader. And he sees how much the ship has been a part of his life. What I really love about this writer and artist is just the fact that, like... There's a lot of heart and a lot of emotion in his ideas in what he's trying to portray. You look at it you think, okay, Beta Ray Bill, this is going to be action. This is going to be fun or whatever. But he digs into the character and brings out their heart and kind of puts that in the forefront. And it, it, this is... Uh, what I love about it is it's not just amazing action and over-the-top stuff. Yes, you're going to get that. But there's also a lot of character development, a lot of heart in there, and it can be really moving. And he does it so well in the comic panel uh, forum, and it, it's impressive to see that. It's hard to get kind of moved uh, in, in
0: comics, and uh, I think I think he does such a great job of it. Absolutely agree. Next up, let's talk about one of the wildest issues of the week. Crossover number seven from Image Comics, oh, yeah. written by Chip Zdarsky. Not actually Donny Cates, art by Phil Hester. Now, this book has been teasing for a while that something weird has been going on with this world, with the comic book creators. Brian K. Vaughn died, Chip Zdarsky was missing, and here we get Chip Zdarsky writing about Chip Zdarsky. And it is a shockingly introspective look at Chip as a real person, as a comic book uh, community, I guess, persona, and the way that he treats himself perfectly publicly versus the way that he treats himself privately. But it also uh, weaves out some ongoing mysteries for the series. And there is a cliffhanger that made me cackle out loud at the end of it with a reveal of some new characters that are showing up, man, what they are going for in this book is insane. What's your take, Pete?
1: Yeah. I mean, this book is meta on meta on meta here, and it is, uh, ridiculous. And even in the book, they talk about how like hacky writers go meta. So it was, uh, it was a very interesting choice, but done well. And the art is fantastic. And uh, the reveal at the end is insane. Uh, You know, when you talk about big events and taking big swings, uh, this is a very interesting, cool choice. And I'm each issue. it, It does a good job of kind of like giving you a little bit more to kind of keep tuning in. I think they're doing a great job with this book. It's very creative and very
0: fun. I agree. Next up, Catwoman annual number uh not number 2021, but Catwoman annual twenty twenty-one number one from DC Comics, written by Ram V, art by Kyle Hotz, Fernando Blanco, and Juan Ferraria. Here we are finding out a lot more about the villain who has been plaguing Catwoman throughout the title since Ram V took over. We find out he is connected to a huge character from the Batman Mythos, specifically the Order of St. Dumas and Jean Paul Valley. He is somebody else who was raised by Jean-Paul's father to be evil. It kind of reeled against him. We find out more about this order and what went down with them back in the day. It's all very 90s comics. But this is one that I keep getting sucked into time and time again, even though we don't really see Catwoman at all in this annual.
1: that's the That's the only, I mean, that's the hard part is you get a little glimpse of Catwoman uh, being concerned for somebody. But other than that, this isn't a Catwoman book at all. So for an annual book, I appreciate them and the store that they're doing, but uh, it's lagging Catwoman, which is a little
0: tough. (laughs) Well, you know, you're a cat owner. Cats go on vacation once a year. Once a year, they just disappear from your life completely, and then they come back the next week. That's how it works. So that's why it's Catwoman annual. She's gone, but she'll be back. Yeah, exactly. Cats are weird like that. They are. Parasomnia, number one, from Dark Horse Comics, written by Cullen Bunn, art by Andrea Muti. This is another wild book that is set in dreams, I believe. It's basically following two characters. One is having a nightmare. One is having dreams of the other character, and it keeps flitting back and forth and all over the place. The real hero of this book to me was Andrea Muti's art that I thought was absolutely gorgeous as it flits around these different dreamscapes. It's not immediately clear what is happening in this book until the end. But once you realize that it's dream logic, I think it crisped in for me a little bit. Uh, What about you, Pete? What do you think? Yeah, I
1: think this book is very kind of like tripped out and interesting because we kind of have these parallel things happening a little bit. Uh, the art's unbelievable. I love an artist who kind of feels watercolor, like watercolor stuff, so really impressive. But, yeah, it's kind of like it starts off with this like homeless dude under a bridge trying to live his life a little bit. So, like, it's very interesting um, and it kind of gives you just enough information to follow along. I, I think it's, it's a, it's, it does a great job of sucking you into this world and gets you excited for more.
0: Next up, Black Cat, annual number one from Marvel, written by Jed McKay, art by Joey Vasquez. This is continuing the Infinite Destinies storyline as Infinity Stones are jumping all over the Marvel Universe. Weirdly, we don't get an Infinity Stone anywhere in this annual, really, but we do get teases for what's coming ahead. We know this is all leading into Black Cat's Infinity Score, where she tries to steal the Infinity Stones in some way. We also get a tease of some character that is spinning out of another book, Avengers, Heroes Reborn, just to jump around it. But you can kind of figure out who it is showing up in the end there with Nick Fury. Um, Regardless of it not seemingly connecting with the main story, I still really liked it because Jed McKay is good at writing black cat stories, which I thought was a lot of fun. What about you, Pete?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's too bad uh, Justin's uh, being a big time director and shooting commercials right now because he was the one who said he really loved this. I mean, you know, Black Cat's cool, uh, you know, White Fox, okay, you know what I mean? Like, all right, um, I, I you think get. what's ha- yeah, you get it, but what's happening is um, I like. that they're trying to dig deeper and it'll be interesting to see Black Cat around the Infinity Stone. So I feel like this is a good comic to kind of get you excited
0: for what's to come. Next up, Made in Korea, number two from Image Comics written by Jeremy Holt, art by George Shaw. Well, this is the book that I was most excited to check out in the stack this week because I was really into the speculative sci-fi from the first issue this takes place in a world where... Folks have, I I believe, fertility rates have gone to maybe zero, uh, children of men style, or maybe very, probably very low, in fact. And instead, people are getting surrogate robots to fill in. This couple gets a surrogate robot. It's a discount one, but it turns out it is a engineer has snuck some code that he has created slash stolen from his company into this robot. And in this issue, we get to see her interacting with society. Still thought it was really smartly written, really fascinating characters. I really like the corporate intrigue aspect. I think it adds a lot to it beyond just the family drama. And I love the fact that there are backups here focusing on the rest of the world from other artists and writers. What do you think, Pete? Are you as high on this book as I am?
1: Uh, well, yeah, no, not, not as high as, as you are, but I think that I really like the idea of this book. I also really enjoy the art and the storytelling. Uh, there's nothing more adorable than like a little girl who wants to read everything that, that is fantastic. I can get behind that where it ended, maybe a little scared, um, of, for what's going to happen. Um,
0: but um, I'm hoping the creepy kids don't win. You know what I mean? Well, but that's a good thing. It's good that you are scared for the characters. That means you're invested in them and you care about them, right?
1: Yeah, even though it's a creepy robot girl, sure. Oh, she's not creepy. She's
0: nice. All right. We don't know yet. I mean, we'll see. That's the whole point of the book. Daredevil, number 31 from Marvel, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Mike Hawthorne. Another Chip book. Chip Zdarsky, guy. This guy's all over the place. Another book. He made himself Daredevil now. That's crazy. Oh, like, man. just stop putting yourself stop. in your own books, Chip just Zdarsky. Stop it, stop Chip. It. We Come get it. Come on. Cut it out. I'm kidding. He doesn't do that. But there are a lot of Daredevils in this book, so there's that. Daredevil is in jail. (laughs) Elektra has taken over for Daredevil. uh, And meanwhile, Bullseye is on the loose. So it's the classic trio back together again for some hijinks. Plus, speaking of... The three stooges of Marvel.
1: Speaking of your favorite sharks, we got a hammerhead in this issue. Classic fun with
0: hammerhead. Yeah. I do... I do honestly like Haberhead showing up as the world's dumbest gangster in books. It's a fun myth that's running throughout Marvel lately. Uh this is really good. It feels it feels like a different Daredevil story and a different Matt Murdock and that's kind of interesting to read. Pete, I feel like we were a little back and forth about this. What are you thinking about this? arc, new arc as we kick off.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. What's nice is you're getting a different kind of voice for Daredevil here a little bit. You're getting a different kind of uh, uh, feel for what the character wants and what the character is doing, which is great. Kind of brings a new kind of uh, uh, like, okay, this could go anywhere here, which I like. It's not just depressing Matt Murdock. We're getting kind of a different feel here. So Also, it's fun to see Elektra struggle with Doing the right stuff. And I like that about Electra. I like who she is. I like what she's trying to be. So uh that part I really enjoy. And Bullseye is just one of those,
0: especially in the comics, is such a fun character. I will say, without getting into spoilers, I was very iffy about the place that we end up in Bullseye. That is reminiscent of something that he's done before in the comics, but felt very uncomfortable to me now. I'm curious to see how it plays out. I know, again, I'm bouncing around spoilers here. Sure are. uh, We'll see how it pans out in the next issue before we make any judgments. Next up, Spectre Inspectors, number five from Boombox, (laughs) written by Bowen McCurdy and Caitlin Musto. Art by Bowen McCurdy. This is the last issue of the title, at least for now. Oh, man. As our teen supernatural sleuths wrap up their mystery here. I loved how big this got big and kind of scary towards the end here with enormous demons attacking them for an all ages book. This goes pretty hard. Yeah, it sure does. It kind of looks like a uh, crazy anime
1: villain at the end there, which is cool. I I really, I I really digged where this uh, book started and the swings that it took. I, I think that it was Really creative, a lot of fun. I also love the discovery the characters kind of make along the way. Um, yeah, I was really impressed with how different this story was from what I thought it was going to be, just by the looks of it. And I think they do such a great job of, like, giving a original kind of story with a bunch of tropes around it and um, lead with a little heart, which is nice. And then, uh, yeah, it was... Uh, it was sad to see it kind of end a little bit i i was really uh, i want more it's a it's a good team and it's a it's a interesting kind of crew so i'm excited to hopefully get
0: some more from them yeah, I think they will potentially go forward with more. Obviously, if sales are good. But if you didn't check it out, this is a great one to check out in the trade when that inevitably comes out from Boom and catch up with it. Again, a very good all ages tale. And when I say it's scary, I think it's on the level of like Gremlins scary. You know, it's like nineties scary. Wait, Gremlins two or one? Gremlins two is not scary. Gremlins two is silly. Well, that's what I'm saying. Is Gremlins one? Okay, think- that's the scary one. That's yeah, the well, one that I had to that's leave the movie asked. for. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, a bunch of kids had really built up the microwave scene. And I they were bet. like, this is the scariest thing you've ever seen in your entire life. So I had my mom take me out of the theater when I knew it was coming. Oh, wow. You're poor I didn't mom. see it until much later in life. I don't know how she did it with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pete, you were never there for me as a kid. <laughs> so always my mom taking care of me. <laughs> Pete was never there. I was like, where's Pete? And she's like, not now. Watch your gremlins. <laughs> The Department of Truth, number 10 from Image Comics, written by James Town of the Fourth, art by Martin Simmons. This is our main character hanging out with a cryptid hunter who is tracking Bigfoot. We get a lot of information about Bigfoot yes. and the myth of Bigfoot here. Thanks both to the conversations between the characters and also some very intense text pages. Pete, I know you're not usually want to read the text pages. Did you actually read these or did you skip? You skipped them. Yeah. You're damn right. All right. I'm not trying to call you out. I honestly am curious how people read this
1: stuff. Well, hey, you know what? I'm going to give it to you straight. I'm not going to fucking sugarcoat it. So first off, uh, uh, tip of the cat, because they, they kind of acknowledge the fact that. Uh, tip of the cat because it's Bigfoot and he's an animal man. Sure, sure. Or I misspoke. You know, I don't correct you when you fucking stumble. You do anyways, all the time. Well, I don't know. Anyways, uh, I think they did a nod to the Bigfoot documentary on Hulu, which I don't recommend uh, checking out. You will never get that time back. Anyways, this is a uh, kind of a, a fun uh, a take a little bit on that. I really love this bo- these books. Too bad Justin's not here to talk about it. But this, to me, was so great. We got a bunch of answers in this issue. A lot of fun reveals. Uh, yeah, this continues to be such a strange and well-constructed book, such a fun mix of different kind of art forms in all the right ways. I- I'm having a great time, even though uh, maybe, you know, you skim sometimes, you know what I mean? Because you don't want to
0: fucking read. I really like this issue as well. I thought it was well done. As usual, Martin Simmons' art is great. The mix of media throughout is really well done. It's funny. This was a lighter issue for me uh, after the intensity of the past couple of issues and the uh, conspiracy subjects that they've been dealing with. Just talking about Bigfoot felt like, ah, this is fun. This is a lark. But I think there's an indication that it's going to get very dark by the next issue again. So don't worry. It's just a brief respite between horrible, horrible things happening to our main character. Speaking of which, next up, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Tea Time Number 1 from Boom Studios, written by Mirka Andolfo and art by Sia Om. Mirka Andolfo has been making a big name for herself as an artist lately. This is the first time I'm seeing her just as a writer, though maybe she did before, I don't know. But... I really like this book a lot. This is set in the new Buffy the Vampire Slayer continuity, but I don't think it's important that you know any about it. It's just Xander and Willow and Buffy sitting around in the library, kind of doing a thought experiment about what if Giles turned out to be a vampire, what would that be like, and how would you stop him? And... Good stuff. Uh, I I thought it was super fun and also very dark, which is why I did that teaser for before. But what did you think, Pete? How'd you take it? I know you've been a little mixed on the Buffy the Vampire Slayer stuff.
1: Yeah, sure have. Uh, I thought this was a pretty great story. I thought it was a fun kind of collection of ideas, really fun ending uh, I mean, I I would be pretty, pretty upset if uh, I walked in on you and Justin and you guys were saying, like, coming up with plans of what if I was a vampire and different ways to kill me. I uh, feel like we do that publicly on the podcast all the time. I don't know. I don't know. But I, I do think it was art was great. And it was I, nice. What, to what kind I would of do,
0: just not to interrupt you too much, but what I would do is I'd be like, hey, Pete, do you want a cheesesteak? And I'd hand you the cheesesteak with right. one hand, and then the other hand has a, a steak, but it's like a cheese steak. <laughs> oh, and then I would push stab it.
1: stab me through the mouth. It's yeah. gross. Witwiz.
0: Wit whiz I would use. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like nice and smooth. It's a nice, you know, speed, you know what, uh, push. What's, what's nice bread. about
1: that is since you're not getting my heart, I would fucking snap your neck and then bite you in a second. Oh, man. In that order?
0: It. Yeah. You'd snap my neck first so I die
1: and then eat my dead blood? Yep, exactly. And then bring you All back right, to man. life as my slave boy.
0: <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. This is a good title, even if you haven't been picking up the rest of the Buffett of the Vampire Slayer stuff. And last but not least, that actually, Texas blood. Actually, no- I, wanted
1: to, I wanted to talk about one more book uh, in the stack. That's no, okay. you always do this. You go
0: rogue. That Texas Blood, number seven from Image Comics, written by Chris Condon, art by Jacob Phillips. We love the first arc of this book that felt very close to criminal, but set in Texas, of course. Here we're getting a new mystery as our main sheriff character reminisces about a satanic sacrifice, a series of deaths, something like that, that happened back in the 70s. Very curious to see where this goes, very curious to see how it connects emotionally in the same way as the first arc. This is early going, but Jacob Phillips' art is still great, and I am happy to see this title back. What about you, Pete? Agreed. Uh, it's unbelievable art. I also really like the
1: moment the main character has when he's just trying to kind of have a moment to himself, which is nice. And I feel like that is very kind of true to life. Sometimes if you are like really thinking about something, if you like take a break or walk away and allow yourself to kind of relax, like their uh, new ideas can kind of pop in. And so I think that was like a cool moment that was kind of captured in this comic, Unbelievable art, fantastic storytelling. This has been uh, uh, really fun. And what's the surprise
0: last book you want to talk about, Pete?
1: I want to talk about Green Arrow, 80th Anniversary, 100-page spectacular. Uh, first off, I want to just say an amazing collection of covers in there. Uh, a lot of great stories and uh, artists. Um I, as far as collection of stories go, I was really impressed with the collection here. Um, also, the, in the back, there's amazing back matter. There's a fun Ollie's chili recipe, which is really cool. And then a really touching Denny O'Neill tribute in the back. Uh, his son wrote a comic. Oh, my God. It's so fucking fantastic and heartbreaking in all the right ways. Um yeah, uh, and just such a cool use of the like talking balloons as a thing to tell a story.
0: Uh, I was really I do love per- when they use the talking balloons to tell a story. That's great. Yeah, thought balloons, talking balloons. Go oh, fuck yourself, Salvin. Uh, I appreciate but- the fact that you get on me about the amount of books we talk about in the stack that you read an extra hundred pages. <laughs>
1: Well, it was uh, really kind of like I read about the Denny O'Neill tribute, and I wanted to fucking uh, do it. Uh, Just the the comic that his son does. uh, I'm a sucker for shit like that. Uh, Worth it. Very much worth it. Uh, If you're a fan of Green Arrow, you would love this book. Um, But yeah, it was such a cool
0: collection and definitely worth checking out. Awesome. If you'd like to support our podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowncast and YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about comic books. iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe and listen and follow the show at comic book live on Twitter, comic book club live on Instagram, comic book club live.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, a tip of the cat to you.
1: (laughs) Ah, you're an asshole.